Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. It's finally feeling like a garden outside, isn't it? You know, for the past few weeks, I have been complaining. I've been complaining because it's been so dry. And maybe, (laughs) maybe because I've been complaining so much that we've been given some rain. I hope that you've been given some rain, no matter what part of the South, Northeast Georgia. We've got some folks listening in Atlanta and in other states online. So no matter where you live, I hope you got some rain because we have needed it here in the Piedmont, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. We have been extremely dry and things are looking promising. I promise you, all I've been doing is complaining. Complaining, complaining, it's been too dry, we have no rain. I did not do any kind of rain dance. I don't necessarily believe in that, but I'm afraid if I did a rain dance, that the rain clouds would become so frightened by my cheesy moves (laughs) that I would scare them away forever. So I'm not doing any rain dances. I've just been complaining that we haven't had rain. But we know what the good book says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So the good Lord knows what we need. The good Lord knows what his creation needs. He takes care of the birds. He'll surely take care of us. And with that in mind, I am starting to see finally, I think I mentioned last time, last week, that I had planted we planted a huge garden. It's probably over a quarter of an acre. I will say that's the biggest vegetable patch that I've ever had. I watched my grandfather uh, garden more than a quarter of an acre, probably total two to three acres. One man took care of that garden. Really was impressive. They just don't make them like they used to, but it's a big space. And so we had a lot of seed in the ground. We've had I planted corn seed and uh, bean seed watermelon seed several weeks ago and of course that was during this period of dry and as you know seeds in order to germinate germinate is that germination I should say is that process of the seed breaking open it first produces what we call a radical and a radical is the the uh, seed root if you will So the radical comes out of the seed first, goes down into the soil, starts to collect nutrients, starts to collect water, and then sometime after the radical emerges, you will have the, ready for this term, the epicotyl, wonderful plant biology terms, but the epicotyl. And that is a set, 
Sometimes with corn, it's just one seed leaf, but with beans and tomatoes and squashes, cucumbers, watermelons, there's two seed leaves that will begin to push up through the soil towards the heavens, and then those first two leaves that you see are not actually leaves at all. They're called cotyledons, another wonderful botanical term, which really doesn't matter all the time. (laughs) But just know that those two young cotyledons, those seed leaves, we can call them seed leaves, those seed leaves, they turn green, they start to photosynthesize, which means turning uh, the energy from the sun into nutrients and things, food essentially, carbohydrates and sugars that the plant can use to grow. And so without rain, without moisture, that process of germination does not begin. My fear was, my fear was, was that I planted the seed, maybe they had some moisture to begin with, started the process of germination, and then dried out. And that's how an early crop failure could happen to you, especially when you're growing seeds, is that uh, if that process of germination, germination is interrupted by particularly dry conditions, then you won't be able to sustain that seedling. It won't push those seed leaves up, and the plant may not be. So I did some exploratory digging in the garden, and I took my hands particularly because I wanted to be careful just to make sure I didn't damage any germinating seeds. And I started pulling little pieces of soil from the areas where a seed should be, and finally I turned over one seed that had that radical. So it had started that process just a few days ago when I checked on them last. The seed leaves have not emerged, but I expect them to probably this weekend, particularly on the uh, the beans and also the watermelons, maybe the corn. So I hope that I haven't lost a lot of seed because of the dry weather, but that just tells you that it's important as gardeners for us to time our activities based on weather patterns. I will admit that I did not take into consideration weather patterns. I was sort of, and again, there's a lot of faith. There's a lot of faith in gardening because when you put that seed in the ground, whether you realize it or not, you have faith that it's going to do its natural and normal thing. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going to pop out the radical root, and it's going to send up the seed leaves into the sky, and it's going to start growing. It takes a lot of faith. So I did just plant them because it's been so busy at the nursery. And my day job is taking over my gardening at home. It's terrible. Uh, I feel like I'm always growing plants for other people at the nursery that I can't grow them for myself. Uh, but I did them on a uh, planted those seeds on a day that I had time, and just sort of let nature take control. And sometimes when we have those dry spells like we've had recently, uh, it doesn't get too encouraging. It started to hurt me spiritually. Started to hurt me inside. But boy, this week. I hope you've been able to experience the rain we've had. It has been a good rain. Now, a good rain. Let me talk about that before we get into your questions, and I'll give you answers to your questions this week. But a good rain would be a rain, you know, in the South, let's talk about a bad rain first. (laughs) Because in the South, we generally have these very heavy storms. And they send out copious amounts of water, and uh, uh, that water can move your soil, especially if you've tilled a garden or planted a new bed and you don't have mulch on it. Soil can be eroded, soil can be washed away because it's been softened, and these heavy, hard rains come down, and sometimes it may not even leach into the soil, it just runs off the top. 
especially after periods of dry weather where the soil is very dry, quite hydrophobic, which literally literally means scared of water. So the, the soil is so dry that it can't absorb the water uh, without a slow, drizzling rain. And even though we had some periods this week where I heard some very heavy rainfall, for the most part, it was the slow rain. That is a good rain. A slow, long, deep rain that's going to go down into the soil profile and moisturize from the top to the bottom of the root system of your plants. That's what we need. But we can't be too picky. We can take, we've got to take uh, what we're given. And if that means a hard, heavy rain, well, at least it's some moisture. But of course, you'll notice that after these rains, we get something in the air, don't we? humidity. We have moisture in the air because the temperature is so high that evaporation is happening so that water is being sucked out of the uh, sucked out of the earth back into the atmosphere. And of course in the south it's not just the heat, it's also the humidity. Now that humidity may bring about perfect conditions for disease to start taking over. For disease, fungus, and bacteria to grow on your leaves, on your stems, maybe even on the fruits and flower buds of your plants. Whether we're talking about vegetables, edible plants or whether we're talking about ornamentals. And so today we do have a question about a a fungus uh, in particular. We're going to talk about roses today. We've got questions about roses and questions about ground covers. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked all about some great ground covers uh, that someone was looking for to, again, ground covers are those plants that are going to sort of make a blanket across the earth, a mat across the earth. Great to help uh, slow down erosion Great to help hold the soil. Ground covers generally either have a thick, dense mat above the earth with foliage uh, or a thick, dense mat below the earth with rhizomes and roots and stolons. And so some plants, they have both. They create a dense mat, mat across the top of the earth and a dense mat under the earth. And those are wonderful if you're looking to hold onto uh, some soil and just have good ground coverage because a Covered soil, whether it's with mulch, some kind of organic matter, or plants that are covering, shading the earth, that is much better than an exposed soil. Because folks, our soil here in the south, particularly the Piedmont, where there's copious amounts of clay-based soil, those types of soil are very old. They have very small particles that can get picked up by water and start to erode. Uh, The soil can be moved downstream. The soil can be moved into somebody else's property. But this is very important in the South that we are keeping our ground, our soil covered. Maybe you have turf grass. That's a great ground cover. Maybe you have some of these ornamental ground covers. That's wonderful. Or maybe you have uh, areas that are mulched and planted with some beautiful ornamental plants. That is wonderful. As long as we are covering the soil, that's what's important. But One of our questions today is about a ground cover that's getting a little out of control and it's being pushed or growing into areas that we don't want it to be in. So we're going to get to that. So let me just summarize that today is all about you. It's all about your questions. We love for you to be part of the program. You are a very important part of the program by listening. But if you ever have a question, if you have something going wrong in the landscape, or maybe you have a success story, because I don't like to hear about depressing things all the time. (laughs) But if you had some wonderful news, some awesome looking plants, you can 
always reach out to us online at NewSouthernGarden.com. That's our website. Of course, we have every episode of the program ever posted there. But in addition to that, you can also contact us directly, and those emails come straight to me, and we'll be glad to answer your question uh, on the next Q&A week, which, of course, is at the end of every month. So the last Saturday of every month is when we will go to the mailbag, go to the mailbox, and folks, this time of year, it's probably going to be more critical. We may have to expand our Q&A weeks into other weeks just because this is the growing season. If something is going to go wrong, it will probably go wrong during the humid summer, the hot the dry summer, whatever it turns out to be, you will probably have some issues. So you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram because that is a great way to communicate with us. And you can send us pictures there very easily. Just tag us or post them on our page and videos as well. As a matter of fact, today we have a a question sent to us by video. So of course, I can't share that with you here on the program, the video part, but we are going to share the audio and then I'll be glad to answer that question. I've already got some good ideas ideas to help this individual uh, with keeping that ground cover in check. So if you have not joined us for a program before and you want to learn more about gardening, like I mentioned at NewSouthernGarden.com, you can definitely, you can definitely uh, check us out there and find every episode of the program. That's NewSouthernGarden.com. So I suppose that we should probably jump right in. We're getting close to a break, so we may have to wait for that. I will give you some ideas uh, before we answer questions on some things that you might need to be doing right now in the landscape. So here's some tips for this week. Right now, you are probably having all kinds of plants blooming. You've got roses blooming. We're going to talk about some of those today. You may have some perennial plants blooming. In other words, those are those plants that come back year after year. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about them dying at the end of the year unless something goes wrong, okay? Everything, even perennials, they can have problems and they may not make it year after year. But perennials are those plants that generally bloom a lot through the summer. Some perennials bloom at other times of the year, but they will return year after year. It's critical with any blooming plant that you work on deadheading. And the reason we want to work on deadheading in particular is because deadheading, which is the removal, using a pair of snips, maybe a pair of scissors on very delicate plants, but uh, hand pruners work well, that is going in below the flower, the old flower, all right? We're looking at dead heads, in other words, flowers that have already been spent. We're going to remove them from the plant because that action stimulates, it stimulates the plant to produce more flowers. So if you're not deadheading your shrubs or even your perennials and roses, you may be missing out on a lot of new flowers. Deadheading encourages them to bloom more and more frequently. So if you've got plants that have some dead heads, like Eden Rose says, be sure to give it a go. After this break, we'll be right back with more of your questions. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Gang, we are answering your questions today at New Southern Garden because this is our Q&A week. You give me the questions and I give you some answers. Now remember, <laughs> when it comes to anything, once you choose your expert, you choose your solution. You choose your answer. So there are probably many ways to approach some of the questions uh, that you have given me. However, through my experience, through the education that I've had, I like to give you the answers that that I would take, some of the most practical, some of the things that make may make better sense than others. Of course, if you don't know much about me, I did spend time studying horticulture at the University of Georgia. So a lot of my training comes out of university, which of course they are teaching things that aren't just anecdotal. For instance, an anecdotal answer would be, well, this worked for me. This seemed to do well. What you need to do is what I did because it worked okay. That would be anecdotal. But what the university does is they take it a step further, if you will, and they will actually research and they will test things. So they set up a control and then they set up three or four different variables that may or may not work and you see what performs better. So they're testing. They're going through that scientific method. And so the things that I like to, to look at and research are things that have been tested to see if they work or not. When you go into the garden center, when you go into the uh, local plant nursery, you may find some products that are marketed to fix a certain problem. But I will tell you, there's a difference in researched methods and marketing, all right? Just like anything, marketing can be very attractive. It can be very, um, uh, very like, oh, look, this is going to solve my problem with one little squirt or one little spray. But it may not always be that way. So just be sure that when you pick your expert, you're also going to pick your solution. So today, let's jump into the mailbag, and actually, this is going to be a video question, which you don't have the uh, uh, privilege of seeing because it's all audio here, but I will let you listen to the audio because uh, Carmen in Hall County, which is my old stomping grounds, actually, I still live there, as my grandmother would say, that's God's country, Uh, but she's in Hall County, and she has a question in particular, about some ground cover. So let's cue this up and take a listen to Carmen's question here. Hi, Nathan. I need some advice. So I have this lovely ground cover, which I absolutely love. It's so lush, and it just feels like a carpet here in this. But my question to you is, it's spreading. How do I stop it from spreading out so far that it doesn't take over some of my other low-bearing flowers? because I'm afraid if it spreads out over here, it's gonna overtake a lot of my low to the ground flowers. So my question to you is, how do I stop it from spreading in certain areas? Thank you in advance. All right, well, thanks, Carmen, for your video question. We appreciate you sending that to us through the social medias, Facebook and Instagram. And I'm going to describe to you what I've seen in her video. Uh, Carmen has this, this beautiful carpet, like she describes, and it's actually a sedum. 
And I think we talked about sedums on our ground cover episode. Uh, But sedums are very good at covering the ground, particularly this one, which appears to be one that she probably got from the nursery, Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week because she's a good client of ours there. But uh, it's called um, Lemon Ball Sedum. It may actually be Angelina Sedum. Both beautiful sedums, tiny little green leaves, sort of in the chartreuse yellow range. But she, uh, Carmen does have some beautiful daylilies, some yarrow, and other blooming perennials that are planted nearby. And unfortunately, I can see from the, from the picture where the ground cover is starting to encroach, particularly in the daylily area, and she wants to prevent it from going the other direction, which is headed in towards some uh, low-growing verbena. And so the sedum would probably overtake the verbena because it's so low to the ground. Uh, the daylilies may be okay with growing amongst the sedum, uh, but that this is a, a good time for us to talk about when we have ground covers, uh, talk about them on the program, give you some ideas to use them, but we haven't talked much about maintenance and maintaining the ground cover. So I have three different approaches, Carmen, that you may want to take when trying to control your ground cover. First of all, maybe the most obvious, is a true maintenance concern, and that would be going into the areas where you don't want the sedum or the ground cover and digging them out. Now, this can be quite tedious, maybe laborious, because as you're digging them out, you may find you may find that you leave pieces of the plant behind, maybe some hiding under the soil, and those little pieces and parts may very well start a new plant. So that means come back in, do some more cultivation, removing the plants from the areas you don't want them, and keeping them in check physically. So you're physically going in and pulling out plant parts, roots, stems, leaves to make sure they stay out of those unwanted areas. Now the next approach, which is a maybe more simple, definitely more simple, but can be a little more drastic and may cause some unwanted damage, but it shouldn't destroy the plant, would be to use some kind of herbicide to actually eliminate the plant's uh, with a spray, right, an herbicide spray, you'd have to be very precise. You'd be very precise. You want to make sure that you are not spraying plants that you do not want to harm or damage. In the 21st century, as a matter of fact, since really the 1940s, there has been development in chemistries and in, in herbicides as well as other pesticides. Uh, so we may want to be selective about what we're using. Now, some folks, we don't want to use sprays, uh, so this may not be an option for you. But if you decide that you do want to spray out some plants that are encroaching a certain area, don't worry. You may kill a margin of plants in the area you do want them in, but most likely they will quickly return. Um, With that being said... If an herbicide splashes or drifts, little tiny droplets drifts on drift to some plants that you don't want to damage, you may accidentally have uh, some damage because of that drift or that overspray. So that is an option that I want to bring to your attention, but you have to be very careful and cautious with it. Now, the last option, which is sort of a long-term option, uh, but it is going to create a, a physical barrier in your garden and in your landscape. When it comes to ground covers, you can use edging 
of some kind, uh, a thin piece of flashing works well. But with ground covers, because lots of them tend to pop up underground and come up in other places, we don't need just an edge along the top of the soil. We also need some kind of edging below the soil. So if you have at least maybe with a low-growing ground cover, if you have a piece of flashing or edging that can be buried four to six inches deep with at least uh, four to six inches above the ground, which that may be dependent on how tall of a ground cover you have. Carmen's ground cover is only about four inches high, but with the blooms, they may be about six inches high. So you wouldn't need much exposed above the earth, but you definitely want to make sure with ground covers that have stolons and rhizomes that can creep along the soil or creep underneath the soil, that you have a physical barrier that those stems and roots can hit and they will turn the other way and they won't continue growing outwards. So it's sort of like creating a quasi-container in the landscape. You're either using maybe some large stones that are partially buried, maybe a piece of plastic edging, maybe a piece of metal flashing or something that is going to prevent the plant from growing both below the earth and also above the earth. With that in mind, you will have some physical barrier present there. So rocks may look more natural than plastic edging. Rocks may will definitely look more natural than a metal flashing. Um, but regardless, you can choose what's appropriate for you. Maybe choose what is in your budget, in your wheelhouse, if you will, uh, as far as how much you want to spend. Because rock can get kind of expensive. Plastic may be one of the cheaper options. But that is a physical barrier that can be in inserted into the earth, into the garden, and last for many, many years. With that being said, you may have the rare case where uh, a sprig makes it over the rock, maybe makes it under the flashing if it wasn't deep enough, and you may also have some maintenance on the outside of your edge uh, barrier. So with all that being said, uh, the flashing is definitely a good route to go, the, the edging, the rocking, whatever, um, but regardless, you can physically remove it as well. Whichever method you plan to take, all you have to do is... Give it, give it a, a go. go. That's what Eden Rose says. Just give it a go. Get out there and garden and stop that ground cover from encroaching into those unwanted areas. Thanks for your question, Carmen. And when we get back from this break, more of your questions. So hang on tight. For the world to behold. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are going to the mailbox, going to the mailbag, the inbox, whatever else, however else we send things these days, the text message, the Facebook message, and we're answering your questions because we like to dedicate at least one week of every, uh, every month to helping you more specifically. You know, generally, from time to time, most of the time, I'm giving you ideas, inspiration, tips about what to, what to do, what not to do. And uh, 
but you may have a specific problem, so we like to answer your questions. So the last program of every month, which is Saturday, last Saturday of every month, we answer your questions. And I'm afraid with the weather we've already had, we may see more and more questions, which more and more problems. But that's okay, because gardening is an experience. It's somewhat an experiment, too. <laughs> so we should never be afraid to try new things, to do new things in the landscape. That's just what we do as gardeners. So before the break, we did answer a question concerning essentially ground cover maintenance. And that question really reminded me that I have not talked about that. You know, ground covers are those plants that like to creep and crawl, and we love it when they cover the areas we want them in, but we sort of don't like it when they cover areas we don't want them in. And so if you missed any part of that, you can check out this program a few short hours from now online at NewSouthernGarden.com because we gave you three ideas on controlling ground covers in the landscape so they don't creep into those spaces where they don't belong. It's like in today's world. People are creeping all over the place, places they don't belong. Well, plants can do the same thing. But we still got more questions to answer and particularly... We've got Krista, who sent us a, a message via Facebook, and hers is a two-parter question. I like those. She's got some vegetable plants growing and has a concern, and some roses growing and has a concern. So let's go ahead. We'll start with this question from Krista. We appreciate this question. She says, thanks so much for all the helpful tips and useful information you share on your show. I'm hoping you can help me with two questions. Number one. I've noticed something strange growing beneath my yellow crookneck squash. I have zucchini growing in the same raised bed, but only notice this brown stuff under the yellow squash. Is it some type of mushroom? So there are some photos attached, and I will mention that is very helpful because when uh, you attach photos, we can see exactly what you're seeing and help you identify. So, yes, Krista, you are right. Your garden senses have uh, come come very helpful for you this is a mushroom and folks what we're seeing are little round mushroom fruiting bodies that's what a mushroom really is is a fruiting body of a fungus they are sort of creating a ground cover under the soil little patches of these mushrooms underneath the soil they're perfectly round not perfectly round but they are very globe shaped and brown light tan in color now krista you shouldn't be too concerned all right. So when it comes to fungus in the landscape, whether they create a mushroom or not, uh, there are many types of fungus. Fungus mainly have these very thread-like, uh, almost root-like growths. We call them mycelium. And that is usually, in, in your case with this mushroom that's on the ground, that mycelium is growing under the soil. But then when they go into reproductive mode, they pop up these fruiting bodies that we commonly call mushrooms. So in the landscape, we have good mushrooms and we have bad mushrooms. Just like Dorothy noticed in The Wizard of Oz, are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? There are good witches and there are bad witches. There are good fungus and there are bad fungus. In your case, Krista, this fungus you're seeing, the mushrooms you're seeing, uh, could be considered a good fungus. And I'll tell you why. Because the fungus you have here, this mushroom, is going to only consume detritus. 
Now, what in the world is detritus? Detritus is dead material. So I see that your garden soil around your vegetable plants, particularly these crooked neck, crook neck squash, is very high organic matter. It looks like maybe some soil conditioner, some potting soil. All of that old organic matter, it's dead. And it's wonderful for the soil. But it doesn't do much for the soil until microorganisms like bacteria and fungus and other critters and creepy crawlies, they consume the organic matter as a food source, break it down into more simple, um, more simple compounds, if you will, simple products that the plant can consume. So this mushroom in your landscape or around your vegetables, Krista, is actually doing you some great benefit. This mushroom, the mycelium, particularly under the ground, the root-like structures you, you may find if you dig down below the mushrooms, they are working to destroy, if you will, the organic matter, break it down into nutrition like nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium, things that your plants can consume. So when we're composting or when we're mulching, we would actually hope for some white growths, those mycelium in the, in the material. And looking at the mushrooms just tells us that we have good fungus below the earth. Now, like I said, not all fungus is good fungus, right? If you start to notice that there are spotches, uh, splotches on your leaves or maybe there are patches of fuzzy things growing, that is most likely a bad fungus because some fungus consume living material. And of course, your crooked, your crooked neck squash, very green, very vibrant. They look great. Um, if you have a fungus on the foliage, you can have a major problem. But otherwise, if the fungus generally... Uh, is consuming the material that is dead organic matter. So compost, mulches, maybe you have leaf litter and whatnot in your garden and you have these fungus consuming that, that's a good thing because they are breaking down nutrition, breaking down those more complex organic products, turning them into uh, chemical forms of nutrition that then your plant can use, pull it through the root system and start manufacturing its own food. So don't worry too much, Krista, about what's going on with this fungus. It looks completely harmless and actually more beneficial, if anything. But again, as we go through the summer, we have periods of humid weather. We have periods of wet weather. Uh, be looking on the foliage, particularly of your uh, plants, because that's where you may find some problematic fungus. I should mention that there can be fungus at the root system of plants. That is a problem, could be a problem. Uh, this one should not infect your plant with a disastrous disease by any means because it appears to be a dead-loving plant, a dead-loving fungus, so it loves to eat dead material. And most plants that consume dead material don't consume living material. So in your garden, Krista, just to keep your root system happy, be sure that you are uh, keeping your plants moist at the root level, but not too wet because oversaturation of water can cause some root rots, root fungus, root bacteria, and things like that. Otherwise, the pictures you have sent us, it is a type of mushroom. I'm not a, uh, what is that word? Myceliologist? I know that's not the word. But anyhow, I'm not a mushroom guy, so I can't identify it, but I've seen this in plenty of piles of um, mulch and plenty of piles of rotting organic matter, and they are being, being a big help to uh, your composting process. Now, 
Krista does have a part two for her question. So number two, I planted a bare root Maurice Atrillo rose this year. The plant is doing great, except that some critter is making a meal of its pretty green leaves. What's eating my plant and how can I prevent this going forward? And of course, Krista has some great photos, which is very beneficial. Now, the very first thing that I saw, Krista, is, I don't know if you noticed it because you didn't give me a close up of it, but let me back up. The very first thing I saw is that your rose leaves are being eaten. You probably noticed that. But what I notice even further is that your rose leaves are being, being eaten from the edges towards the interior of the plant. Now, anytime the edges of your plant are being consumed and not necessarily large holes in the middle, because if you look closely at your damage on this plant, this beautiful rose bush that is struggling, um, you'll notice that all the edges are being eaten, but there's no large holes in the middle. So worms and caterpillars, if you will, they consume generally the edges of leaves. So I'm thinking, all right, you've got a worm problem, some kind of caterpillar problem. And then as I zoom in on your picture, I see sort of to the left of the shrub, right in the middle of the stem, a creepy crawly caterpillar. So that definitely, uh, you've, got a, you've got symptoms of caterpillar damage and you have a sign of caterpillar damage because I can see a caterpillar on your plant. I can't really identify which one it is, but it is consuming large portions of your rose. And I see another rose uh, or at least a branch to the, to the other side that is definitely healthy, not being consumed. The first method of control for this caterpillar, Krista, is to physically remove any insect you see. And if you can find that caterpillar, you can remove him. You can do some things with him. <laughs> you can, first of all, put him in a bucket of soapy, warm water, and he will slowly die. Uh, or you can smush him and end his life. I don't know how you feel about that. You definitely want to uh, maybe use a boot or a shoe. <laughs> Think of it as killing a bug inside of the house. Killing a bug inside of the house is necessary because bugs don't need to live with us. And this bug does not need to live with your rose. So say a little prayer. Have a little funeral service, but you can eliminate him. I don't see any others. However, if you find more than one, if you find so many that you don't want to or can't pull them all off of the plant, physically remove them and eradicate them, the next step would be to treat your plant, your leaves, your rose bush with BT. Bacillus thuringiensis is what BT stands for, and that is the name for a bacteria that is completely and naturally occurring. Now that bacteria is going to only affect caterpillars and worms. Now I like to use BT when I know I have a caterpillar or worm problem because I won't be harming any other good pollinators or any other good insects. If you don't have aphids, if you don't have white flies on your roses, if this is the only problem you have, then you can be very specific with your control method. And you can use BT. Uh, sometimes it's called thuricide because it comes from that bacteria, Bacillus thuringiensis. Now, what happens when this caterpillar consumes that bacteria is it becomes infected. It has an infection, a bacterial infection. That bacterial infection gets into its gut, into its stomach, if you will, and it will kill it. 
it will destroy it. So you will be essentially poisoning uh, your worm with a naturally occurring bacteria that does just that. It gives them an infection, gives those worms and caterpillars an infection. So BT is approved for organic gardening, big time, so very safe to use. Of course, there are some chemicals you can use, but they may be very broad in their uh, effectiveness, and they may kill things other than the worms. All I can see is signs and evidence of worm damage on your uh, beautiful new rose. Now, trust me, um, your rose should recover. You don't necessarily have to remove any of the damaged leaves. Just make sure that we destroy and eliminate the problem, which is the pest, the worm. You can use that Bacillus thuringiensis. Then you might give a bit of fertilizer because it's been consumed uh, so your plant can uh, regenerate some leaves and stems. Maybe do some tip pruning to encourage some new leaves and new stems. Both the fertilizer and the tip pruning will encourage new growth. So listen, Krista, we appreciate your question. And I know that squishing that worm sounds gross and nasty, but I'll give you encouragement from my two-year-old just... Just give it a go and squish those worms, making sure that they don't destroy any more of your beautiful, newly installed rose plant, because otherwise, I think it'll pull through regardless. But get rid of that worm. When we get back from this break, we've got more questions, particularly about roses. So hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, it's that time of the month where we answer your questions because you have them. I have questions. Sometimes I need them answered. Actually, I like for my questions to be answered. So we appreciate those of you who have been able to send us a question. We're making you a part of the program, which you already are. Um, And like I've said before, as we get further and further into this southern summer, which I guess it's still spring, but boy, it has been hot. It has been dry for a while, but it's recently been raining. And so you may see some issues pop up with this extra moisture because we've had a good bit of a, a run with uh, rainfall this week. We had some early in the week, some late in the week, and um, hopefully it'll be a pretty rest of the weekend because, of course, this is the weekend for Memorial Day, and we celebrate and remember uh, all of those lives uh, who, ha- who, who were given for our freedom, those lives that were sacrificed and, of course, uh, have allowed us to remain in this country that we call the United States of America. So I hope you all have a good weekend. But before we dismiss class for the week, 
I do have one last question that we have time for, and this question comes from Cindy. And I've helped Cindy before. We've had a question from her about a rose that was it's called the uh, Jacob's Coat Rose, which is an old-fashioned heritage rose. If you're not familiar with it, I'll describe it as fairly a climbing rose. They can get quite tall, but they have a variety of color. As a matter of fact, one flower may have shades of sort of peachy orange, uh, maybe some red, and definitely some pink. So individual roses that are multicolor, and when they're all in full bloom, you have these older flowers that may be more faded with the other shades, and then newer flowers opening uh, with fresh color. And so it's a great, uh, very old-fashioned, good-looking rose that does tend to climb. But uh, Joseph's coat, I don't know if I said Jacob's earlier. Anyhow, Joseph coat, that's what it's called. Uh, she was trying, Cindy, some time ago, has a friend who's uh, moving, and so she wanted to take a cutting of the shrub, and she asked me, what's the best way to uh, make a cutting of a rose, et cetera, et cetera, make sure I can have a part of this plant because the, my friend will be out of her house soon, and I don't want to lose uh, access to... To this plant, I want one in my own landscape. So I gave her the tips and all. Well, recently she writes in and says that the cutting didn't work. And I'll just say, Cindy, you did a great job. Anytime we venture out into propagating plants, it's a, another on-faith thing. <laughs> because sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. We do a lot of propagation at the nursery. Of course, that's at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch where you can find me. Propagation is just that process of trying to make more plants because plants produce seed and you can produce more plants from seed, but you can also produce plants from cuttings, dividing the plant, grafting the plant, layering the plant, air layering the plant. Plants can generate roots on stems they can generate roots on leaves they can generate roots anywhere really and so we have this ability to put plants in a situation that will help them be stimulated to produce roots from say a cutting however however cindy's cutting from joseph's coat rose did not take but we have some new news and cindy's question is this uh, i'm going to bypass all the part about uh, the cutting failing but she says my friend is going to be moving however she will let me take the shrub with me so in other words cindy will be able to move the shrub and take it to her place which will ensure that she has a plants with roots but she says since i'll be transplanting soon because the house is going for sale and she'll be moving out uh how do i go about moving this plant and make sure that it survives the move so cindy i'll start off by saying that roses transplant very well as a matter of fact, they transplant so well that many roses, particularly the old fashions, the, uh, the English roses, the floribunda, grandiflora, especially Joseph's coat, they're grown in a field, okay? And then when they're sold, they're lifted out of the soil and shipped without soil on them, bare root. Now, all of that happens usually over the cool season of the year, sometime beginning in fall and going through uh, maybe early to late winter. So moving a plant bare root uh, is tough. You can't really do it in the summer because that root system is going to dry out very quick. However, uh, roses respond well to this damaging of the root system and transplanting. I'll start by saying that moving this shrub from your friend's house to your house, this time of year is not ideal. 
It's not ideal because it's getting hot. You'll be damaging the root system and you will be transporting it and hopefully quickly the same day, putting it in the ground at your place. So even though it's not ideal, it's still early enough that the plant, the rose plant will be actively regrowing from any damage that you may be inflicting on it. Of course, the most obvious damage is you'll be damaging the root system, but the plant this time of year in particular, will be able to regenerate roots pretty quickly. So even though I've prefaced by saying this is not the ideal time, I will go ahead and give you some steps for moving this plant um, from your friend's house to your place this time of year, which is mid-late spring, if you will. So first of all, make sure that you set a day aside to do this. You want to go in the morning, particularly in the morning when the plant is full of moisture and it's not been suffering in the summer or <laughs> spring sun for most of the day. Go when the plant has the most moisture, which is in the morning. And then try to uh, get out to your place within the same day to stick it in the ground. You may actually go ahead and dig a hole first at your place so it's ready to go. So you can move that plant from your friend's house directly into the soil and not have to have it sitting on top of the soil while you're digging the hole. So pre-dig your hole at your house and then go in the morning to your friend's house. Now, it's not necessary but I would encourage you, especially if it's an old shrub and it's got a lot of branches, a lot of leaves, a lot of stems, I would trim some of that foliage back. It's going to do two things. First of all, trimming the foliage back on a large plant is going to help you get to the root system better with a shovel. And then secondly, it will alleviate some of the water loss because any time a, a leaf is removed from the plant, that is one source removed that would be otherwise releasing water from the plant. So you do want to make sure that you have some of your foliage cut back. You don't have to cut it all back. Be sure to leave some uh, strong growth. And then when you're digging around the plant, be sure to dig as much of the root system as possible that you can acquire. You're not going to be able to take it all, but try to get as much as you can, as much as you can handle and lift. You may need a helper. Maybe your friend will help you dig and lift that onto a truck or in the car. Then when you take it home, you could go ahead and put it into a pot and let it sit there and sort of baby it. But if you've pre-dug your hole, you can uh, stick that right in the ground, making sure to keep the soil line around the root ball in line with your soil in the garden. Don't plant it any deeper. It can be planted higher than the soil line, but no deeper than the soil line at your place. Then be sure to water it in that day to give it some moisture and help uh, soil settle around the root system so those roots can get growing. I would then maybe wait a week, but you could do it the same day and give them a slow-release fertilizer with high nitrogen. Be sure throughout the rest of the summer to make sure that root ball does not dry out because if the root ball dries out, then the plant will die. So if you see any wilting, you may check the soil level, uh, moisture level, and give it some more moisture. Cindy, I think that you can make sure you get this Joseph's Coat Rose at your place. All you've got to do give it a go. is give it a go. Give it a go on transplanting that rose. Well, gang, for WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's News Southern Garden Show.